Have you ever had a situation where you walked into a group and asked, what happened here? Like you just, maybe uh, the, the place went, maybe you got kids, right? Maybe the place went from uh, clean to a mess, right? You go in, it was all clean. You come back in 10 minutes later, like the place is trashed. You're just going, what actually happened here? Maybe, here's another one. Maybe you've been uh, a part of a, a situation with people where there's a group of people and they're all in conflict and then you kind of leave and you come back and they're laughing. Have, have you ever had that? Just go, what on earth happened here? What, was, what happened? Something big actually happened. Everyone was so sad and in conflict with, none of the, with one another. The whole place is now different. Well, this is what's happened because of Jesus. Amen? So today, just going to try and stir you up a little bit today, all right? Because uh, if there's one thing you should get excited about, it's about what Jesus has done because it's changed everything, amen? You get excited about that. So here's what we've been looking at over the last few weeks. We've looked at uh, human anthropology. Uh, We started off with created anthropology. What is the nature of humanity? What are they like before sin came into the world, before we turned against God? What are we like in our fallen state? And now we're looking at Redeemed anthropology. Now, you guys have seen the castle, right? You know the vibe, right? Do you know what God's vibe is? Better than what it started. That's God's vibe, right? You guys know Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. At the start of the psalm, where do the sheep end up? Sleeping on grass. Now, some of you are going, that that would be cool. I would like that. A patch of grass right now would be really cool. Where do the sheep end up at the end of it? Anyone know? banqueting in front of their enemies all right who would take the latter as opposed to the first one you would right like that's better this is kind of god's deal right he starts off with something we trash it he makes it better all right not that that's a plan we just want to exercise all the time but that's that's kind of how it rolls right so back right in the very beginning you'll notice um or you remember if you're here a few weeks ago that god made us in his image in his likeness Genesis 1, verse 26 to 27. You know, the cataclysmic thing that's changed the whole of human history is that Jesus, the true human, he came, all right? So in all of human history, you've got two people who who were truly human, Adam and Eve, and then they blew it. And then there's this whole period of time where all of humanity is less than God made them to be. And then eventually, you know what happens? Jesus shows up on the scene, okay? And Jesus shows up, as a true human. You know, Stanley Grenz, a, a, a biblical scholar, actually made this point. He said that the reason he thinks, one of the sneaky suspicions he has for why Genesis 1 doesn't t- tell you exactly what being, in made, being made in God's image is like is because Jesus is the image of God in man. He is actually the image of God and that one day he was going to be coming. Some of you are going, yeah, okay, prove it. Okay, well, here we go. Second Corinthians 4 verse 4. In their case, the God of this world, the devil, we don't like the devil here. Does anyone like the devil here? Well, you need to stop, all right, if you do, because he doesn't like you, uh, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, Jesus, image of God, all right? He is the image of God. What about this one? Some of you are going, okay, keep going. Colossians 1 verse, image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all Hebrews, 1 verse 3, Jesus is the radiance of the glory. Do you get the vibe here? We trashed humanity. The human has changed everything. He's changed it by dying on the cross for you. You know, we like, he is the man. 
Oh, Jesus is the man. Like he is the, he's the creator, the recreator and the template for humanity by the devil and his father. He lives an unbalanced, exceeds his desire to be loved. Did you notice that? He's, he's the second Adam. He is the royal child. He suffers. He goes through the worst of suffering, but he's also the reigning king. So in a sense, we could finish. Because if you're going, what's redeemed anthropology? Well, it's being truly human. Then you go, well, what's being truly human? Jesus. That's it. Some of you are going, cool. Let's go and have that barbecue we're having in an hour's time. Well, I'm not going quite that long. but You're going to talk for 45 minutes after this. I'm kidding. I'm going to go a little bit longer than 15 minutes. You know, what we're talking about today is this. You know that, that diagram before, created, fallen, redeemed anthrop- anthropology, you know, you're kind of a mixture of them. But do you know what your true identity is? Redeemed anthropology. That actually is currently, right now, your true identity. All right? And it doesn't mean that you're not a sinner. But here's the thing. Most of the time in your life, you actually start... Your starting point is what you think that you are and then you start operating out of what you think you are, all right? And I reckon there's probably a whole bunch of you. Your starting point is fallen anthropology. I blow it. I'm a loser. I get things wrong. I sin. And so when a temptation or a test comes up, you walk into that out of that anthropology, that idea of who you are. And so my goal today is to hopefully by God's grace, by the Spirit's work, that you would actually realise, no, I actually need to start at a redeemed point and walk into things from a redeemed point of view. And hopefully for some of you today, this will be a shot in the arm. It's a long-term, term term three. Anyone feeling it? You know, some people struggling, right? You're just like, I came to church last week, I was really struggling. You just told me how much I sucked, like for about an hour, all right? (laughs) And it's like, and you just feel lousy about it, right? This is not going to be one of those sermons today, right? This message today is, this is exciting. And I want you to, man, I want you to get into it. You know, there's a difference, there's a little side issue. There is a difference between the words exalt, E-X-A-L-T, and E-X-U-L-T. What's the difference? You. Yeah, no, that sounds really bad, doesn't it? You can exalt something, A-L-T, and praise something, but E-X-U-L-T is when you get taken over by the, what you're praising and the truth that you know. So the goal today is let's, let's all just get taken over by the truth and let's be able to see it uh, in the way that we respond and the way that we engage with it. So here's the thing. Some of you are going, whoa, 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 hey, just hold up a little bit, right? I, I still blow it. You know, you want to go into this redeemed anthropology, like what are we like? What has God actually made us? through Jesus like and by the way if you're not a Christian here today this doesn't belong to you none of this stuff belongs to you but it could it could belong to you but it doesn't until you have faith and you put your trust in Christ and you repent before him but some of you are going hang on but I don't always do that I don't always do all the things that you're talking about well I've got a word for you aberration you know what an aberration is it's a deviation away from a normal state all right so you've got something that's normal and then an aberration is like it's not acting normally okay so my question for you today just to ponder at this point in time is this what do you think is normal do you think that blowing it is normal do you think that giving in to temptation is normal 
Do you think that whatever is normal? And I want to suggest to you today, if you love Jesus, giving in to temptation is not normal. <laughs> All right? It's just not normal. Everything that we're doing today is like, this is what's normal. It's like we could get up, you know, at the end of this, we could kind of have a Restoration Sunday kind of deal and just say, who here wants to stand up and talk about something that they did this week that was along the lines of what I preached? And we could all sit there and go, yes, very good, Peter, you are very normal. That's what we're doing, all right? I'm going to talk about this stuff today. And in a sense, your response would just be, can we just have something different? Or can we just... You know, you just, that's just normal. That's just, and this is a thing. Like everything that I'm sharing today is, is, is the Bible telling you and God telling you this is what's normal. Like almost yawnable normal. All right? That's, that's what we're gunning for here. So let's get into it. Who are we? Well, the first thing is this. We are people who have been restored into the royal family. Look at John 1 verse 12 to 13. To all who... To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Here's a big idea. God's king, right? And he wants you to be in his family. Someone should gasp. Because you wouldn't have you in your family, would you? Like, here's the thing. We were by nature people who were at war with God. It's like we're at home just gathering our stockpile of munitions and weaponry, right? Because we want to kill God. And he's going, no, no, let's make him a prince. Let's do that. That's a good plan. Oh, princess. That'll be really good. I'll have her for one of my princesses. Do you get that? Look, it's a spin out. It's like, why on earth? What kind of father, which tells you that he's way different than every other father on this world, way better. There's some good dads out there, but... What kind of father's going, yeah, let's take that person who killed me and make them my child? That's a good plan. Would you do that? Maybe. But if you, I'll tell you something. If you did do it, you know who you'd be like? You'd be like God because you're made in his image. So some of you are sitting there and you're going, yeah, there's a part of me that would like to think that I would do that. You know why you're like that? Because you're made in his, in his image. That's what he would do. He would do that because he does do that. Brings you into his family. How does he do it? Well, Ephesians tells us he adopts you. He adopts you. Incredible. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has loved us, sorry, blessed us in the beloved I want to show you a clip. This is a longish clip, all right? It goes for about six minutes. This is from 60 Minutes, right? And it's about a uh, Christian couple who adopted some triplets, all right? And what I want you to think about as we go through this, the Christian couple, you will just hear time and again through this, they're, they're just like God, okay? But what I want you to think about is what does their being like God do for the triplets that they're adopting? It's hard to imagine a tougher start to life. Triplets, Madeline, Macy and Mackenzie, were abandoned by their drug-addicted mother at birth. And if that wasn't tough enough, two of the girls, Macy and Mackenzie, were joined at the pelvis. Their fused bodies made adoption a real long shot. Basically, no one wanted them. Then along came Jeff and Darla Garrison, a decent and selfless farm couple with a strong belief in the power of faith and family and love. 
beat Madeline and Macy and Mackenzie. They're the amazing garrison triplets. But they're triplets with a difference. Two of them were born conjoined and had to be separated at the pelvis. Now almost eight, they never stand still, never stop talking or laughing. And although they've been surgically separated, they still have something in common. Macy, do you know what Mackenzie's thinking? Yeah. You do? Yeah. Even if she doesn't tell you? No, I can read her mind, kind of. Can you? And she reads my mind. What am I thinking about right now? You're thinking about ice cream. No. Yeah, you are. Lollipop. <laughs> That's pretty close. <laughs> All right, so, Mackenzie, what's Macy thinking about now? She's thinking about ice cream. Uh-huh. I love ice cream. Ice cream. The third triplet, Madeline, was born perfectly normal, bright and bubbly. Happy birthday, dear Caroline. This was the triplets on their first birthday. And this was them just a few weeks before, when Macy and Mackenzie were still joined together. Back then, their future was grim, until Jeff and Darla Garrison came into their lives. Conjoined twins, did you have any idea what that meant? <clears throat> it didn't matter, you know. We felt very honoured that they even thought we were worthy. But you knew, had you ever seen conjoined twins before? No, no, not other than on TV. Yeah. The triplets had been born to a drug-addicted woman in California, and she had abandoned them at birth. Now, it's hard to believe that these lovely effervescent girls were the babies that nobody wanted, except for Jeff and Dar. Oh, look at her go. I had yeah. to prove that we were, you know, worthy in that way, and so I was constantly feeling very insecure. And it, it lasted a long time, and I thought, there's probably someone better. So loving them wasn't enough? No, it wasn't enough. We you knew know, we just... could do it, but we just weren't sure everybody else knew we could do it. Lord, we just ask you to bless this food, nourish it to our... This is God-fearing John Wayne Company. Where old glory flies proudly. When Dala and Jeff first brought the girls home, the locals were understandably curious, and sometimes a bit too curious. You can't just put conjoined twins in a stroller and go to Walmart. It's a fiasco. People are gathering, looking, talking. We had to put a blanket over them, you know, to cover them up in the stroller. We had to, you know, so people wouldn't... Gawk. Early on, even the garrison boys were a bit taken aback by their new sisters. I remember asking my mom if it was a two-headed baby. <laughs> but you were only about six or seven, weren't you? Yeah, I was like six years old. Uh, had you ever seen conjoined twins no. on, even on television? I've never even heard the word conjoined before that. Oh, why are you making that funny face? What did I do wrong? You guys were all happy a second ago. Oh. All that was seven years ago. 
Spend a few days with these little girls now, and you forget that they even have a disability. They're quite fearless and almost unstoppable. Anything that able-bodied Madeline can do, on or off the ground, they are determined to manage. Yes, I can. Yeah, well done. Fantastic. Very good. Good girl. I want to play soccer. You want to play she soccer? She wants to play soccer this year. Well, tell me why you want to play soccer. Because soccer is fun. But can you play soccer with just one leg? You run, you kick, and then you run, and you kick the ball, dribble it, and then you kick it through the hoop. That's like that. Move me because I'll mess up her nail color. Judith, like every grandma, has grown-up dreams for her girls. Dreams about love and about marriage. You know, they have that little handicap, which will make any boy that uh, uh, has intentions of dating them, he will really love them because they're not perfect. He'll love them because of their wonderful, beautiful personality. I pray that they get married to a nice guy, have a lot of kids. <laughs> Remember, these three little girls, certainly the twins that nobody wanted, had no future. They'd just been dumped. But the consummate medical skills and the unbridled love of a family who cared, a non-stop, hyperactive family, has given them a new life and new hope. Yet Jeff and Darla believe that they are the fortunate ones. How do you pass up that opportunity? Yeah. Who gets called to take conjoined twins? Nobody. You don't pass that up. That's that's a once in a lifetime opportunity. Okay. Are we done? That's done. Yeah, I think yes! we're done. Yes. <laughs> a long clip, but uh, trust you, you picked up along the way there just the power and the strength that actually comes because someone wanted them. Remember at the start, it was like they were the kids that no one wanted. And even at the end there, they said the same thing, the kids that no one wanted. And this, uh, this anchoring, I mean, they're sitting there talking about wanting to play soccer. You know, they could have been sitting there just going, who, who will love me? Who will care for me? Like, who's going to lock in that, that foundation, that anchor point for them? Well, well they did. The, the parents actually did. And, and do you know something? If God didn't want us, no one else of consequence was stepping up to the mark to take us. No one. You know, and these parents are really good parents, but do you know something that they can't do? They can't make a leg appear where there's no leg. But do you know that God can? And that's what he does. He grabs us. He grabs humanity in our deformed state. And we've done it to ourselves. It didn't just happen to us like it happened to those kids. We've done it to ourselves. And he says, I want you to be in my family. I want you to be with me. And you know what? When you're in my family, you're actually going to get fixed up and restored. That's how it works. I embrace you into, into my circle, into my tight family. And do you know something that is like an absolute mind-bending reality? Jesus now, if you love Jesus, he's your brother. Oh, go figure. Not only do you get God the Father, the King of the universe, becomes your dad, but you get Jesus for a brother. Who would like a brother like Jesus? Yeah, come on, all right? You're not, at that point, you're not worried that much about bullies, are you? All right? Because no one's beating him. It's like, can you sick him? You know, it's kind of that thing, right? He's, 
He's with me. He's my brother. It's incredible. We're estranged no longer. You know, Ephesians 2 talks about how Gentiles were a long way off from God because they, they weren't Jews, right? Is anyone here a Jew? So you're all Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile, all right? And Ephesians 2 says a similar thing. It says, hey, listen, all of you, Peter, everyone in this building, you, were, you weren't in an Australian vernacular, you weren't within cooey of God. And what does it say? It says, those who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You're actually very, very close. Now, we could go into the way that good families are meant to operate, right? And that would give us a bit of a sense about what's normal, all right? Now, let me give you a couple of things that are not normal. Talking to your brother or your sister once a year at Christmas time is not normal for family. Is anyone with me on that? That's not normal, okay? All of us have got... I mean, we live in broken families and families are really difficult. I mean, it's, it's, it's a weird thing that... Uh, the, well, maybe not. It's, maybe it's not weird, but the, the thing, it's true, isn't it, that the things that can mean the most to us are also the things that are the most damaging, right? I can kind of smash you over the, over the fence for six sometimes oh a bit like that they can really they can just be really messy right but so i just want you to think for a minute if what we're doing today is meant to be a bunch of jesus's family getting together how should that look what would normal look like now i'll tell you what it wouldn't look like it wouldn't look like coming to church at christmas and easter would it that's not normal family it mightn't even look like just coming to church on a Sunday morning like you're going to the movies. Like that? Like <laughs> It's like if, if your brother or sister only ever showed up to watch Home and Away, that would be weird, right? On a whole bunch of levels. Like I don't even like Home and Away. I think it's weird watching it. No offence to anyone who watches it. But if they showed up every Tuesday and you never talked about anything, would that be weird? It would be, right? And it's a bit like that with church sometimes, right? It's going to show up. They put on a good show. Maybe there's a couple of half-decent jokes. It's, all right? And we sing a bit of worship and that's good. And then we go away, but we're not, really not normal. See, what's normal is to be connected. What's normal is to know each other. It's to be in relationship. It's to have the Father leading his family of people who are all kind of connected and talking with each other about stuff. And one of the things that normal families do is they fight together. Not against each other. That's not normal. Together. All right? So three of my boys, uh, a little while ago, were uh, at a particular... I'm just, I won't tell you any details, so uh, the, uh, the guilty will be uh, uh, protected. Anyway, they, they were somewhere, and an adult who was uh, leading them actually said something that was very rude to, to one of my boys. Do you know what happened? It was like... All of a sudden, the Sondergirl boys all got together. The news went through the Sondergirl boys, I'm sure, and they're just going, right, now it's us against that lady. <laughs> all right? Because that's what happens in family, right? It's like, that's one thing. Isn't it true, right? You can have some real dysfunction in your family, but as soon as someone starts going after family, it's like, right, you're taking on all of us right now. I don't care what my sister or brother did that irritated me. I... What, what was your name again? You know, it's been that long since you've even uh, spoken to them. But all of a sudden, you don't do that to my family. Well, you know, that's what happens 
in God's family. That's one of the things that's normal when you're in God's family. We fight together, right? Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Do you hear that? So here's the thing. We could have someone get up the front. Well, I know that we've got people in this church that pray for people. You know what? We could have them get up the front and go, hey, just want to let you know that I was praying for these people this week. And we all should be almost going, man, it's like, can you just give me something new? Like everyone's always talking about that. <laughs> that that's normal. Do you see that? That's, that's what it's meant to be. It's almost, almost yawnable. It's like, come on, man. Like we just, can you put on a different record? That one's just keeps skipping. Now everyone is under... 25 is going, I don't even know what a record is. But anyway, (laughs) listen, here's the thing. We fight together. We need one another. You know what that means? It means no secrets. It means vigilance is the order of the day. We share one another's burdens. And do you know the biggest challenge for us, I think, in the project is actually being open about our burdens to each other. I think there's a willingness for people to share each other's burdens less of a willingness to be open. So what sort of things could we share with each other appropriately and wisely? Well, sexual sins, lies that we believe, anger, jealousy, complaining, grumbling, thanklessness. What about this? Even rote obedience. We could share that with each other. We could bear each other's burdens, couldn't we? Then we'd be doing family. Okay? But here's the trick. You've actually got to be close enough to people to do family with them. And I would just challenge you, are you close enough to people in the church here to actually do family? Are you normal? Or are you abnormal? See, it's normal to be family. It's normal to be fighting for one another and carrying each other's burdens. All right, number two. Royal family pass tests. Now, I'm going to read this. This is uh, Genesis 2, 15 to 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. Now, I'm going to answer, you know, just, I'm just building this up a little bit. I'm going to answer the age-old question as to what the heck was God doing putting a tree in the Garden of Eden that people couldn't eat. You ready for this? He put it there because when you're a true human, you're meant to pass tests. That's what you do. That's how you grow. You see, God actually put this tree in the garden before sin came into the world. And a lot of times what happens with us is we think about sin, we think about temptation, and we think about testing, and we kind of put them all in the category of a fallen creation, right? This is happening before sin, There's something here about God actually putting the tree in the Garden of Eden to develop and to change them. You see, in order to grow, you actually need to be tested. All right? And I'm not talking about moral growth. I'm just talking about growing as a person. You actually need to be tested. You need to be tested about the way that you operate within the boundaries that God's given you. Now, here's my question for you. Do you think at some point in time that Adam and Eve might have been able to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? I think yes. Do you know why? Because there are whole swathes of the rest of the Bible that talk about you working out 
the difference between good and evil. All right? The problem was at this point in time, they wanted to do it their way. They turned in on themselves and they worshipped themselves. And what you actually find is Adam and Eve get tested by God. They're meant to pass it, but they fail it. And then God keeps testing his people. I mean, you only have to go to uh, Deuteronomy and, and look at the wanderings of the, uh, the Israelites in the wilderness to know that God tests and tests and tests and tests. Why? Because one thing that's really, really important to God is self-control. And how do you get self-control? You get tested. <laughs> that's what you do. So you get tested, you come through on the test, you complete the test, and it all kind of goes well. Is that the human story? Not on your life. We see with the Israelites in, uh, in, you know, coming out of Egypt into the wilderness just a con constant failing of every test that God seemed to come up with. And it almost looks like God kind of throws his hands up and he stops testing his people. Have you noticed that through the rest of the Bible? Like you've got the, the garden and then you've got the Israelites in Egypt and test, 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 test. And then all of a sudden, no test for a long time. And, and I think it's almost like God's gone, they never pass. <laughs> they never pass. They never get it right. Until the true human comes. Have you noticed this? You, notice, you ever notice what the first thing is that happens in Jesus' ministry? Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested. All right? And we all hold our breath in a sense because it's the devil that's going to test him and tempt him. We all hold our breath because we hope that this true human is going to be able to come through and do what a true human does. Do what's normal for a true human and that's to pass the test. And of course, he does pass the test. And we, we learn from Hebrews 5 verse 8 to 9 a little bit of the secret of why this happened. You, you see this? Although he was a son... He learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Do you see that? Jesus was morally perfect, but there was a completion that came about by him being put through testing. That's what it was always meant to be. That's what it was meant to be for you and I. That's what it was meant to be for you and I in the people of Adam and Eve. But we failed. You see, what's normal for a true human is to pass a test. Is that the way that you think about it? Did you think about it that way this week? Like when testing and temptation came along, did you kind of go, oh yeah, I've seen this before. This is, really, this is a tough one, but it's actually really simple because I'm just meant to just full marks. That's what it is. That's, 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 what I'm, that, that's the way I'm made. That's what's normal. Let me ask you a couple more questions. Where are you being tested at the moment? Like this one, do you like being tested? You see, Titus 2, verse 2 and 5 and 6, it's like I was saying before, see, being self-controlled is a really, 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 really good thing. I'll tell you something. Um, nations fall because of a lack of self-control. And, and Australia is in this weird kind of collision at the moment where there's this whole kind of side to culture in Australia that's ridiculously self-controlled and you've got diets and physical exercise regimes but then you've got this other side to a Australian culture that's complete license like you can do just whatever you want you don't have to be self-controlled in any way 
I tell you, if we lose all self-control in our culture, that's going to be the end of our culture. It'll be the end of us. Do you understand biblical realities in the midst of testing? Some of the things I'm talking about now. Are you vigilant about the area in your life where God is testing? And if I went back to the previous point, do you you even tell anyone else what your tests are? That'd be a good thing to do, wouldn't it? I'm not saying you've got to stand up the front here and tell everyone the deepest, darkest stuff in your hearts, but you better make sure there's three or four people that know you just go, hey, it's a real test for me. Maybe shoot a text message. That would be a good way to do family, wouldn't it? Fighting for each other. You just shoot a text. You just go, hey, remember I told you about how one of my real test areas is this? Man, it's happening right now. Can you just pray for me? And can you send me a text in about three hours and just ask me how it went? Really simple. And do you know what? Some of you, even now, as you're sitting there listening to that, you think that would be a good thing to do. Look, it would be a good thing to do, but that would be a really normal thing for a family to do, wouldn't it? A royal family who is meant to always pass tests, it would be really normal for them to say, hey, how are you going with that? You told me about that. Tell me how you're tracking with it. Now, I'm going to digress just for a couple of moments. I want to talk about nakedness. Some of you are going, oh, I knew it was going to be a good day to come to church. <laughs> Here's my question for you. Do you think... If Adam and Eve didn't sin, they would have stayed naked. Just think about that for a minute. Now, note, I mean, some people kind of go, oh, they were clothed with the glory of God, right? It's really hard to find that because at the end of Genesis 2, before sin comes in, it says they're naked. (laughs) All right? Now, they don't have any shame, to be sure, right? But they're still naked. Okay? So here's the question. Do you think they would have stayed naked? And I kind of... A, a, a question that kind of gets coupled to that, which I want to throw in for you, is uh, do you think, like if God's about recreating something, does that mean we're all going to be getting around naked in heaven? <laughs> so here you go. Jeez, I hope not. <laughs> Looking forward to the new body. Here's what I want to suggest to you. is I actually, I don't think it was God's plan for Adam and Eve to stay naked. All right? And I want to give you a couple of arguments. I'll put a uh, journal article on the city for you to have a look at. If you want to have a look at it, that's our closed social networking thing that we can sign you up to today. Just come and see me at the end. Uh, but I'll, just, I'll stick it on there and you can have a longer read if you want to. Uh, you notice what actually happens with clothing is in Genesis 3-7, Adam and Eve uh, organised their own. All right? Now, I don't know what kind of seamstresses... What's a male version of that? And I don't even know what that is, but... No, Taylor, thank you. That's good. I don't know what kind of tailor Adam was. All right. He might have been really good. It's like, that's a great fig leaf garment you've got going on there. But what we know of, of clothing, it's like, that's, that's not very fancy. Okay. Is everyone happy with that? Fig leaves are not fancy. And then we even get to the end of Genesis 3. And it's really clear there that God's the one who kills the first uh, animal, it appears, and, and then clothes them with skins. Now, Let's be honest, that's not even that exciting, all right? Now, if it was in Australia, it'd be a kangaroo skin or something, wouldn't it? All right? You'd be getting around in a kangaroo skin and you'd just be going, yeah, okay, that's, oh, if that's what you like, that's the style that you like, you can wear that, but it's not, it's not that great. It's not very regal. Here's the thing. He's just sticking this stone in your shoe. 
Clothes are not just about covering shame, right? Clothes are also about glory, aren't they? It's about someone being glorious. Now, if, if Adam and Eve are son and daughter of the king, if they are royal family, do you think that they would be getting around buck naked for the rest of their lives? Or would they actually be dressed to look like a prince and a princess of the king? I, I think they would. I think they'd be dressed. And let me give you... Uh, A couple of pieces of evidence for this, and I can't give you enough. You need to read the article. Um, Listen to this. This is Exodus 28, verse 2. And these are the instructions that God's giving about how the priests need to be dressed who are going to serve in the temple. Listen to this. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, listen, for glory and for beauty. You see, I actually think what was happening with Adam and Eve in the garden is God tested them and then probably, and this is hypothetical, He's going to clothe them regally in a really, really amazing way. Why do I know that? Well, there's a whole bunch of reasons I know it. Let me give you one more story just to help you with my point. You guys heard of Gideon? Gideon, mighty man of valor, threshing wheat in a wine press, which is not a very gutsy thing to do, but they've been beaten up lots of times by the Midianites. Angel of the Lord comes to Gideon, tells him, I want you to go in and get some stuff done, get this, all this stuff sorted out, free the people of Israel from... Uh, from the Midianites, right? The first thing that happens is this. The angel comes to, uh, after that, comes to Gideon and he says, here's what I want you to do. Your dad's got a, 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 an idol to Baal and basically a temple. I want you to get in there, grab a couple of big cows, get in there and trash it, all right? Now here's, here's a bit of rebellion some of the young lads here just really get into it. So I do a night raid, right, and just trash the place, right? You'd be able to find some dudes in the church that would want to do that. Anyway, God said that to Gideon. It's like, here's... Here's the test, get in there and just trash this, this uh, idolatrous kind of temple, right? Now, at the end of the day, Gideon does it at night because he's scared, um, doesn't do it in the daytime, he goes at night, trashes the place. Um, and then what happens is the nation of Israel starts to come to him and gather to him so that he would actually be the one that will fight or, or lead the pack in, in fighting against the, uh, the Midianites. Now, notice this in Judges 6 verse 34 following Gideon's passing of the test. The Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. And he sounded the trumpet and the... Who wants to say that? Everyone say that out loud all together. One, two, three. Yeah, very good. We're called out to follow him. I think, I think what's happening here is uh, God's tested Gideon and then God came and clothed him. And I think there was something glorious that God had in mind to Adam and Eve that got messed up all right number three restored relationality now you've you've read this verse before many of you right but just read it with me really slowly because this is like your brain should pop by the end of this we're trying to work out what is this in that day Jesus is saying when you receive the Holy Spirit you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you Now, I talked about how God made us relational people. Now, this is just going off the charts at this point, all right? I don't even know what this means. <laughs> this is phenomenal. Like, how is it that God and us can be so interconnected that Jesus says that about us? So let me tell you what abnormal is. Abnormal is you get up in the morning 
and you do a 10-minute reading of the Bible and praying and you never talk to God for the rest of the day. Is everyone with me? Oh, that, that's, that's weird. Like if you read that, you're just going, well, why would you do that? <laughs> that doesn't sound anything like that. Some of you are going, well, I haven't read my Bible for six months. Well, that's weird too. That's abnormal. Like if you've got that kind of interlinking between you and God himself, well, you'd just be talking to God all day, wouldn't you? And we could like have a, you know, next week someone could get up at Restoration Sunday and they could get up and go, hey guys, you know, uh, last uh, Tuesday, you know, uh, I was thinking about the Bible and I just thought, yeah, I just really want to hear what God's got to say. And, and I sat down and I read the Bible and uh, just really felt God speaking to me. And I just thought, yeah, I think I just want to keep talking to him for the rest of that day. So he and I just kept talking. And then the Holy Spirit started just bringing scripture passages to mind and kind of speaking, speaking back to me. And we just, we kind of talked all day. All right. And our response should go, well done, John. That was really normal. Do you get that? Because that's, that's just normal. Like if that is true, that's just normal. So what is it that you and I are doing half the time? Something really abnormal? It's like, get in your head, normal is that kind of relationality with God. Intertwine. Now some of you are going, ah, oh, come on, can you help me? Yeah, I'll help you a little bit more. Thanks for asking. Um, in Romans 11, Romans 11 talks about how God grabbed the, uh, the Gentiles and grafted them in. All right? Some of you are gardeners, right? That's roughly what you do when you graft something. You kind of put a cut in it and shove a branch in it. There's a bit more science to it, isn't there, Lyndon? Yeah. It's just that's what Peter does. You just grab a couple of things and jam them in and then gaffer tape it together. <laughs> no, that wasn't mine. But I do want to tell you, it's Mr. Agronomist down the front of you. Uh, I do want to uh, show you a couple of other photos from plants in my backyard that have been grafted, right? You notice that's kind of what it looks like at the start. That's what it looks like a little way in. See that? You can still kind of see the graft in there. This is another graft. You get my point? Like if we're actually doing John 14, like it's, you know, we could get a saw or a knife or something and cut it apart and do the sinus thing. But that, that's, it's like, well, where does the, where's the rootstock start and where does the graft kind of end? And, and you know what the answer to that is? Don't know. And you know, it's like, that's the kind of relationality that God wants you to have with him. It's like, where does, where does Peter start and Jesus, well, I, I don't really know. Like, I, you, you, you wouldn't be able to separate it. You wouldn't be able to actually get them apart you know another example is is marriage you know once you've been married for a while if you're in a if, if you've got a healthy good marriage you know have you noticed that you start to work out what the other person's thinking so has anyone noticed that let's go oh, see i know what you're thinking about right now and sometimes you can sit in a room and see your wife or your husband and you just go i just heard what that was and i'm looking at them and i know what she's thinking right now see that's that kind of intertwining right you shape, you connect, you, you shape and, and you correct each other. It's really natural. It's just a, a flow. You, you, you talk to one another, maybe in a really non-annoying way. You, you, can, you can, you know, finish people's sentences, finish their sentences. All right? You, you can kind of, I know where he's going with that. 
Just stop, husband, and I'll finish for you. Have you ever heard people say things like this? Uh, he was lost without her. She was lost without him. I remember uh, meeting a man and um, someone said this to me. They said, you don't really understand him until his wife is there as well. You see, that's an intertwining of relationality that that is a little bit like what John 14 is talking about. It's like you can have someone come along and you just go, ah, you wouldn't actually know him very... Look, you don't really get him. You need to get his wife. And when you see both of them together, you'll you'll understand who he is. You know, it's meant to be like that with God, right? That, that's, what's, that's what normal is. It's like you could come up and you could kind of go, Peter, um, well, you can't, you know, you don't really know, Peter, if, if you don't know Jesus because you, you just you can't get them apart. You, you just can't get Jesus and Peter apart and there's something about what Jesus is that makes Peter something, and Peter's in Jesus at the same time. Like they're just kind of intertwined together. Like you don't get the full picture unless you've got both of them. Are you living an abnormal life relationally? Number four, restored worship. Listen to this uh, prophecy in Jeremiah 32 about the new covenant in Christ. They shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and for the good of their children after them. Listen to the verse 40 here. This is really critical. I will make with them an everlasting covenant and I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. You see, verse 39, God's going, I'm really going to bless these people. At the end there, God's going, here's what's going to happen. I'm really going to bless these people. What actually happens in the middle is that God gives his people a heart to fear him, which is a heart to worship him and to orient around him. God restores their worship so that they will always turn to him. They won't turn away from him. Now, here's the thing. We need the heart to worship God and God gives that to us. You know what else is operating here functionally? Is that God does good to us and we don't turn away from him. And do you know what? That happens with you people who love Jesus already. See, you can go away from God for like 10 weeks, can't you? And then you kind of go, whoa, I'm just remembering who he is. Oh, he's really good to me. I'm coming back. You see that? Have you seen that pattern in your life? It's like you can drift a bit and then you just go, no, 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 I know, I know, I know. He's, he's awesome, he's big, he's, he's amazing and he's so good to me. And so we come back. You see that? And that mechanism already happens and that's, that's part of the way that God's made you. God's, God's restored your worship of him by reminding you of who he is and setting that deep in your heart, giving you a new heart and then you returning back to him regularly. Because he's so good to you. Isn't that good? God's a God who moves toward his people incessantly post-sin, post-Garden of Eden, doesn't he? He chases them. He walks alongside them. He's always seeking and pursuing them. All right. Restored imaging. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. 
And we all beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. All right. Newsflash. That's already happening. Some of you sit there and you go, yeah, that'd be really cool if that happened one day. You know, that'd be nice. I'd like that. Well, it's happening now. You're already like that. You're already actually reflecting Jesus. You see that? It's already happening, not hopefully one day. You know, one of the things that I've been a little bit concerned about with the project changing our mission statement is that we would be open to the accusation that we've become human-centered, all right? Our mission statement is restoring true humanity. Well, this verse is a clincher, all right? Let me ask you this question. Let's see if anyone can, can nail this one. How do humans get restored? According to that verse. Yeah? Keep going. What's in that verse? How do you get restored? Yeah, by seeing God, right? Which is, I mean, the mind's going to be part of that, but by, by beholding God, right? That's how you do it. It's like, hey, Peter, what's your plan for people becoming restored and healed? My plan, and God's plan, I think, is let's get them to see Jesus properly. If we can do that, they get restored. They actually get healed. And some of you, who would like to be healed today like, and fully restored as a person? Okay, you know what you need? You need to see God more clearly. All right? And he's going to do a whole bunch of things. It's not simplistic. He's going to do a whole bunch of things to make that happen. But you need to see him more clearly. You see, the, the project's mission statement, Restoring True Humanity, is not human-centered. Because humanity only operates truly humanly when they are God-centered. The whole thing's God-centered. It's not normal to be deceived by idols. All right? What's normal is to pursue a deeper and deeper and greater revelation of who God is. So you know what? It's not my job for you. All right? Some of you sit there sometimes probably and you go, nah, that's, you know, this whole thing about pursuing a deeper revelation of God, I... Pretty sure Peter's got that. And uh, he can just, you know, bring some pre-chewed food for me on Sunday. No, that's, that's not how it works, right? The way it works is that you're meant to be pursuing a deeper understanding and revelation of who God is. And as you do that, you change. You get transformed, all right? It's not the elder's job and it's not the leader's job. We all need to do that for ourselves and hopefully we operate out of that with the giftings that God's given us. But it's your job to do that. So how can you tell that you're doing that? Well, you're going to look at things like, how often do you go to church? Some of you are going, oh, have we got rules about church? No, we don't have rules about church. But hopefully if Peter and whoever else is preaching is telling you about Jesus, this would be a place that you could come to get a deeper revelation of who God is. Amen? What does that mean about community group? Well, it means a heck of a lot about community. Some of you aren't really in biblical community with each other, right? And you just need to know that biblical community, I reckon, is about 80% of the revelation of God that I get. Because other people bring perspectives on who God is that I don't even see. And they challenge me on the things that I think I do see clearly, which I don't see clearly. Like that, that stuff becomes almost like, I'm going to be in that. I'm going to be in a place where people are talking about Jesus. What does this mean about you praying? What does this mean about you reading your Bible? What does this mean about you reading Christian books? What does this even mean, far be it, from you to even read a commentary? 
isn't it? If, it, if it's not just an intellectual thing, but it's like, God, I need a deeper revelation of who you are and I'm going to put my shoulder to the wheel here and I'm going to do what I can to dig as much out as I can. You know the dude just found the four kilo gold nugget? You saw that? He had to go a foot down, right? And you know what he said? He, he found it in Victoria just this last week. He had to go a foot down and he thought it was a horseshoe. But do you know what? If you rake, you'll get leaves. If you dig, you might get gold. Do you get that? That's, that's really simple. Okay? That's the bottom line when it comes to God. You want to be transformed? You want to be restored? You need to get a gobful of who God is, if I can put it that way. Let me skip that one. Let's go to the last one. We need to finish. Restored dominion. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You remember I said that in, in the created order, God made us with dominion. And I want to, this is like really exciting, right? The dominion you have now is even better than that. It's even better, all right? Listen to this. You were, man, the devil had you trapped, right? And Jesus freed you. Anyone give me an amen for that? He freed you, right? Now, in a sense, those, those, those can join you know, triplets there before, meant there was a sense in which they were trapped. You know, someone adopted and it meant that they could actually have some freedom. You were trapped by the devil. Not only that, this scripture up here in Hebrews says that, that the fear of death enslaved you. Who here fears death sometimes? Okay, who's lying? No, I'm kidding, right? You all do, okay? It kind of sneaks in in the back of your mind, like often. This is what Hebrews are saying. It kind of gets in there. God's freed you from the fear of death. I've got an amen for that. Amen. That's good, isn't it? But not only that, we go on uh, even further. We get to Romans 6. I'm not going to read all of this. But then Paul's kind of going, hey, you're a slave to sin. Now, our slavery to sin is like the dumbest job that you could ever have. All right? Imagine if you went to work and you said, hey, I'll work for you 24 hours a day and at the end you can kill me. You get what I'm saying? Like who's doing that job? Like no one. You, you get in there and you work 24 hours a day for it and then it's like, right? But Jesus says, enough of that, no more. No more slavery to sin, I'm going to set you free. Amen? Isn't that good? And then, as if that dominion's not enough, right? It's like, okay, let's, we're just going to keep going. You have the Holy Spirit. Look at this. Luke 24, 49, Jesus says, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, which is the Holy Spirit, but stay in the city until you are clothed with what? Power. All right? Not only has Jesus freed you from so many things, but he's actually purchased the right for the, one of the members of the Godhead to live inside your body. Now, you just got to stop at that moment and just go, What is that? Everyone say that. What is that? Yeah, no, there's not much passion there today. Is it me? Am I the only one who's pumped up about this? Maybe this is lame. Anyway, I'm just going to keep going. Power, right? The Holy Spirit living inside of you. And then, you know, Paul goes on to say in Romans 8, he actually goes on to say, man, you've got the same spirit living in you that brought life to Jesus' dead body. Yeah, I don't know what dominion is if that's not it. Amen? Oh, that's incredible. That's normal. Some of you sitting there and you're going, oh, that'll be nice. No, that is. 
That's it. Like present tense is. There is something inside of you that is generating life and power. You remember, you know, I said that. I remember, I, I remember having a conversation with one of my kids and I said, right, here's the deal. I said, if Jesus backs you, what can you do? Anything, right? Is, it, is there anyone that can beat you? No, there's no one that can beat you. So if he's inside of you, you can nail anything. And if he's, if he's wanting to, you to head in a particular direction, there is nothing on this planet that can stop you from getting there. Why? Because you got him. <laughs> like that's power. Like that's, that's a power that Adam and Eve didn't even really have. They were with God, but there's no talk about God being inside of them. And do you know what this means? This means that we can actually handle suffering and do the Toyota jump. All right, this is, this is James 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? Because you're royal family, because you've got the king living inside of you, and because you're truly human in Christ, you can pass the test. I can do this. I have enough power to do this, not in myself, but God has put me in a place where I can do it, even to the point of having dominion when you get slaughtered. Now, that is the greatest irony, isn't it? It's one thing to have dominion the way that Adam and Eve seem to have it. It's a whole other thing to have dominion even in your own death. Think about that. And that's what God gives. Listen to this. I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm going to finish. So I'll just ask, uh, well, wherever Matt is, he's going to mysteriously appear somewhere. I just, I just want to finish with this. It's not done, right? And, you know, the decisive blow has been landed by Jesus and we've been made new, but we know that there's still a bit of a battle. There's still abnormal realities that happen for us. And you know what? They will be gone one day. Everything will be normal. You'll see all this stuff and another million other things and just be going, this is blissfully boring. Because <laughs> it's just like this all the time. Well, we just talk. God and I just talk all the time. We hang out and we're family and um, in the new creation, maybe you need to put a fence up. I don't know. Maybe there's going to be fences there and, well, your neighbor just comes over and helps you. And Maybe you still get tested, but every time you get tested, one of your family comes in and stands alongside you, maybe six of them or maybe 600, you know, and they just go, oh, yeah, we get you, brother. We understand what that's like and we're just going to, we're going to pray for you and we're going to get alongside you and I know God's going to be with us in this and if there's a test, that's okay because it's just going to grow you and God's going to see to it that you pass the test. All right? Don't, don't be sitting there thinking we're going to have Eden all over again. God does better than that. But notice this perplexing verse out of Revelation 2. I, I say perplexing because no one really knows what it means. So uh, Peter Sondergeld is going to have a punt at it. 
in high fields, even in spite of the fact that commentators all disagree on this one and I'm not sure what it means, but I think it's beautiful. To the one who conquers... So let me just ask you, someone's got to know this. Who's going to conquer a true human, right? <laughs> like that, if you love Jesus, you're going to conquer. Like that's, that's what you're supposed to do. Like a cricket bat hits cricket balls. You, you conquer. That's, that's what it means to be in the royal family. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him, listen to this, I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. What, what's a name? Well, in the Bible, a name speaks of someone's character, of who they are. And do you know one day, I think God's going to give you the name that always belonged to you. It always belonged to you. It was the person that you always were. Listen to what George MacDonald says says the giving of the white stone with the new name is the communication of what god thinks about the man to the man the true name is one which expresses the character the nature the meaning of the person who bears it who can give a man this his own name god alone for no one but god sees what the man is i mean you feel that right now don't you it's like who who am i you have this inkling of that, that you're meant to be something, but it's like, I'm not what I think I'm meant to be. And McDonald's telling you, God knows. God knows who you're meant to be, and he knows your name. It is only when the man has become his name that God gives him the stone with his name upon it. For then first can he understand what his name signifies. Let me uh, close with this statement. I think a profound statement that someone shared with me this week. In that day, you will remember something that you never knew. Do you know what that's like? It's like when you do something and you just kind of go, yeah, somehow I know this, but I don't. And I think in that day, I think it's going to be like that. God's going to complete you and you'll be going, yeah, that's, that's my name. That, that's, that's it. That's who I am. I, I never knew it, but this seems eerily familiar.